Last week, we started, uh, and I, I read this at the end, and it's going to frame up our next series, sermon series, that we're going to walk into at the end of this month. Uh, that we're going to call it Believe For It. It's going to be a prayer series. We're going to call our church to to pray and actually believe that God can answer our prayer. Uh, prayer is so much more than us just simply praying before a meal and reciting things that we think we need to say. That song that we highlighted, Move the Unmovable, Break the Unbreakable, God, we believe for it. From the impossible, we'll see a miracle. God, we believe for it. We believe for it. And I want to encourage you over the next few weeks, some of those prayers that you've been like, there's no way God could answer. I want you to start to bring those to the surface again. Some of us are struggling with health issues, and we've kind of went, you know what, my God who created the world, who puts things into motion, can't heal that. Some of us have relational issues, and we've went, my God doesn't want to heal that. Some of us have job issues, and we're like, God doesn't want to deal with that. And so we're going to walk through a journey. This is going to be a journey for... For me too, I've been a pastor almost 28 years. I've talked about prayer so infrequently. And so we're gonna, we're gonna study together what it means to actually believe that God could answer prayer. Uh, and, and that will be a fun journey for us. Okay, so many of us probably have already ruined our uh, New Year's resolutions. That's why we're not talking about New Year's resolutions this year. We're calling them New Year's essentials. What's it mean to actually have things in our life that are going to propel us in a healthy way to follow Jesus deeper? Last week we talked about uh, part of those essentials has to do with God actually calling us to different things. So God tests our faith and we, we read from Hebrews 11 that Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Kind of faith is the engine that, that takes us in our, in our life. So he said that God tests my faith through certain demands. And those demands, sometimes we go, oh, I can't do it, God. And we can look back in our life and see opportunities that God's given us where God goes, I need you to do this if you will actually trust me. Then we talked about God tests my faith through difficulties. Well, we don't like difficulties. We want the smooth road. We want the weather to be about, you know, plus five to 15 would be great the whole year. We also understood that God tests our faith through delays. It's not just a quick process. We want it now and God sometimes goes, no, I want you to fall deeper in love with me as, as we're delayed. And then that last one we talked about, God wants our money. Not because he's poor, he's not poor, but money dictates a lot for us. Today we're going to talk about how do we actually find hope to cope. Now, many of you were like me. You've been checking the weather all this week because you heard it was going to get warmer. And you woke up this morning and you went, I hope AccuWeather or the Weather Channel or whatever weather app you use says minus five. When I woke up this morning at about six in the morning, I looked at my AccuWeather and guess what it said? Minus 23. Hope 
was crushed. The next step that I took was, as I looked at minus 23, I went to press the hourly button to see, has they ch- have they changed the forecast? Tonight at 9 o'clock, friends, it's going to be minus 4. <laughs> we will be putting on shorts. We are excited about it. The Bible says this in Ephesians 2. If you have your Bibles, Ephesians 2 says this, verse 12 and 13. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants, covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you were once far away, but you've been brought near by the blood of Christ. An incredibly cool verse that we're going to unpack a little bit, but more importantly, we get to actually do physically when we celebrate communion together. If you have your Bibles today, I want you to go to Romans chapter 8. We're going to spend a lot of time in Romans 8. I actually want you to go home and do it as homework today. I want you to read Romans 8. It's okay. It's not that long. Do it at 9 o'clock sitting on your deck outside in your shorts. We're going to look at Romans 8, and I'm going to highlight a few things, but I want you to understand the whole context, and we don't have the time to walk through the whole context of it, but I'll give you some highlights from it. Here's the very first thing with hope. The Bible teaches that God's pardon always erases my shame. So when we look at the cross, we understand that God's pardon through the cross always erases my shame. The fact is, none of us are perfect. I know. Some of us could give names. Some of us are looking at our spouse right now going, make sure you listen to Matt today. We've all sinned many times. We've all made mistakes. Everyone in this world carries hidden guilt and hidden shame. A shame makes us feel miserable. It makes us feel worthless. It makes us feel depressed. It makes us feel like we don't deserve anything when we're filled with shame. So then we need to ask ourselves this question, what are we actually ashamed of? It may be something that you've done to someone else. It may be something that someone has done to you. Either way, the more shame that you feel, or that you carry in life, the more hopeless. Shame always erases hope. God doesn't want you to live that way. God wants you to be full of hope. Romans chapter 8, look there. At verse 1 it says there. Therefore. Anytime there's therefore there, it's there for a reason. Therefore. There is now no condemnation. No shame. For those in Christ Jesus. There's no shame. There's no guilt. There's no penalty. It's already been paid for in Christ. There's no condemnation. The word in the Greek is the strongest negative in the Greek language. It means never, never, never. It means not on your life. It means not in a million years. God does not condemn you, whatever you do wrong, if you've opened up your life to Christ. Notice that it says this at the end of that verse, for those who are in Christ. 
when you get to heaven, God's not going to say to you, do you remember that divorce you went through? Do you remember that sin you committed? Do you remember the premarital sex you had? Remember those drugs that you took? Remember the time you cheated on your income tax? Friends, Christ has already forgiven that. There's no condemnation. It's been wiped out. He erases your shame. Is that a reason for us to have hope? That's the gift of God. That's what salvation is all about. It's already erased. Hebrews 7, verse 18 and 19, it'll be on the screen behind me, says this, the former regulation is set aside. The former set of rules is set aside because they're weak and useless. Look at what Paul put in brackets. For the law made nothing perfect. Following a good set of rules does not make anything perfect. There's a better hope that is introduced by which we draw near to God. That better hope is Jesus. When you put your faith in Christ, when you trust him, that when you sin as a Christ follower, God doesn't get mad at you because you're already acceptable. That when you blow it, God doesn't reject you and say, I'm dumping you, you're no longer a believer. When you blow it, when you're inconsistent, he doesn't hold a grudge. When you sin, God doesn't go, now you're going to have to pay for that one because it's already been paid for by Jesus Christ on the cross and you don't have to pay for something twice. God's pardon always erases your shame. Once you come to Christ and say, Jesus, I know I don't deserve it, but I accept your love and grace, and I ask you to forgive me and take away my shame and my guilt, you've been pardoned. And pardoned people always are hopeful people. The the second thing, God's power always will help me change. God's power will always help me change. Go back to Romans chapter 8. Look at verse 31. What then shall we say in response to these these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Most of you know that God is with you all the time. But God is more than just with you. The Bible says that God is for you. God's on your side. God says, I'm for you. I want to help you out. I want to help you change. I want to help you make differences in your life that you want to see. God isn't just with you. He is for you. Friends, that should give us hope. The two most common problems that I've heard over and over are these. One is my life is out of control. The second, I don't know how to change. I want to change, but I can't. Both of those issues, my life is out of control, and I don't know how to change the things I want to change in my life, are both power problems. God never meant for you to live this life all by yourself on your own power. He wants you to depend on him to give you the strength, the wisdom, the courage. If you could change anything in your life right now, what would it be? Would it be the way that you act or change the way you react 
or change how you respond to other people or the way you talk or change the feelings that you tend to have all the time? What would it be? In fact, you've probably tried to change those many, many times. And eventually you give up and start to feel hopeless. And you say, I'll never be able to change. I'll never be able to make any difference. I'm stuck. I'm trapped. It's hopeless. Friends, God can help you change. When you say, I want to be different and I can't. I know that habit that I have is so harmful I can't break it. I know that that relationship is hurting me, but I don't know how to deal with it. I know that hang-up. I know the way that I'm reacting. I know the personality area of my life needs to be changed, but I just can't seem to change. God says, not only will I erase your shame, I'll help you change. Listen to this verse in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more. Immeasurably, if we're struggling with understanding that word, that means a lot more than all we ask or even could dream or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. The good news is that God has given you the power to help you change. And that needs to give you hope. The the third thing that we need to wrestle through is that God always trans, God's purpose always transforms my problems. He can turn bad things in my life into good. We talked about this a little last week. That God's purpose for your life is always greater than the problems you have in life. Friends, life is just a series of problems. You always will have problems in your life. My guess is, and I think most of you will agree, that the most difficult kinds of problems to handle are those problems that don't seem to make sense. There's no reason. There seems to be no purpose behind them. We don't know and we start saying things like this. Why is this happening to me? It doesn't make sense. We might even utter these words. It's not fair. These problems are bewildering. Bewildering. On the other hand, when we do understand, when we can see a purpose behind the problem, it's far easier to handle. You can handle almost anything if you can see a purpose and a reason behind it. Go back to Romans chapter 8, verse 31. Sorry, not, don't go back there. We already did. Verse 28. Romans 8, verse 28. It's a huge verse for us. But it's also misunderstood a lot. Here's what it says. We know that God causes all things to work together for good for those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. I want you to notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say this, all things work out the way I want them to. You might like it to say that, but it doesn't. It also doesn't say all things will have a happy ending here on earth. This is not heaven. Things are not perfect here. This is earth where things are imperfect. First, it says this. We know that God causes all things to work together for good. 
That means we don't just hope for it. We don't just wish it. We don't just imagine it. We don't desire it. We don't guess about it. We have absolute, absolute confidence. We are certain. We know for a fact that God will work all things together for good in our lives if we give it to him. Notice that it says this. We know that God causes There's a great grand designer behind your life. Your life is not a result of fate. The circumstances in your life are not just by random choice. There's no such thing as bad luck or even luck itself. The Bible says that God is in charge. It does not say that God causes everything. It says that God causes everything to work together for good. Even when we make mistakes, God wraps them into his plan. We know that God causes all things to work together for good. Well, Matt, what are those things? Does that include illness? Does that include unemployment? Does that include a miscarriage? Does that include a flat tire? Does that include cancer? Does that include bankruptcy? How about a mate walking out on you? The Bible says all things. Friends, I wish I could slice it different. That's everything. Those things that aren't good, that I just mentioned, but the Bible says we know that God causes all things to work together for good. It doesn't say that all things are good. It says that they work together for good. Friends, go with me to to my kitchen for a second. Let's think we're baking something. Let's bake chocolate chip cookies. Have you ever tasted the individual ingredients in chocolate chip cookies? How about shortening? Does that taste good? How about a cup of dry flour just to wet the appetite? Have you ever tasted raw eggs? How about baking soda? Have you taken a spoonful of baking soda? How about salt? The fact is, none of these things taste very good. The only thing that tastes really good by itself are those little chocolate chips. God says this, I work together. I work all things together for good. You take all those ingredients and they don't taste good. In fact, some of them are quite bitter. But stir them up and God mixes them together in his plan. Friends, that's your life. There are elements in your life that aren't fun. There are things that happened to you or have happened to you that have a tendency to make you resentful. They're no good. You're bitter. They're hard to swallow. Individually, they are bad things that do come into your life. But together... Together we know that God causes all things, everything in my life, to work together for his good. Your life is like a tapestry. Those of you who have ever done needlework know that when you do tapestry or needlework or any kind of pattern, it looks beautiful on one side. But underneath, if you look on the back side, it looks like a jumbled mess of yarn and thread. They're all different. They're jumbled together. Dark thread, light thread, colored threads. 
Your life is like that. Your life is a tapestry and God is building it, but the tapestry is facing heaven, not earth. God can see the beautiful pattern that's taking place in your life. But when you look at at it from this angle, all you see is a jumbled mess. You see no reason for how it fits together. The good and the bad, the success and the failure, the pain and the pleasure, the hurt and the happy times. When you and I get to heaven one day, we're going to look back and we're going to look at the tapestry of our life and go, oh, that's what God was doing. That's what God was doing in the pain and in the problem and the delayed answer to prayer. All things work together for good. Can God bring good even out of evil? Yep. The cross was evil. The cross wasn't good. When they took God's son and they stretched out his arms and they drove nails through his hands and feet and they stuck a spear into his side, that was not good. That was evil. When they put a crown of thorns on his head, when they tortured him, when they beat him, when they whipped him, when they scourged his back so it ripped open, none of that was good. That was bad. That was evil. Did God bring good out of evil? Yep. The salvation of the whole world to anyone who accepts it. He brings good out of bad. He does it all the time. If you want a really good example of this, friends, it's in Matthew 1. In Matthew 1, we have the family tree of Jesus, the genealogy of Jesus. In Hebrew culture, the genealogy or the family tree of a person was always traced through the father. So in Matthew 1, you have names of all these men. It says, and Abraham had a son named Isaac, and Isaac had a son named Jacob, and Jacob had a son. And it goes down through all these men, through all these generations. But it's very interesting in the family tree of Jesus, four women are mentioned. This is unusual in Hebrew culture. Four women are mentioned as having been responsible for helping bring the Messiah into the world. And every one of these women have a painful story to tell. The first woman in the family tree of Jesus is named Tamar. Tamar was married to two different husbands. They were both jerks. They both died. She married one, he was a jerk, and he died. She married another, and he was a jerk, and he died. Then she was seduced by her father-in-law and had a baby by her father-in-law. That baby was in the line of Jesus. Did God bring good out of bad? Yep. The second woman mentioned in the line of of Jesus was Rahab. Rahab was a prostitute, but she's there and God used her. The third woman mentioned in Jesus's family tree is named Ruth. Ruth wasn't even Jewish. She was a Moabite woman who married a Jew illegally. Yep, she's in the family tree of Jesus. The fourth woman mentioned was a woman named Bathsheba. You may remember what she did. She was the one who committed adultery with King David, and David had her husband killed when she got pregnant with his child. Murder and adultery involved in that one. You see what I'm saying? 
God is so great that he weaves even our mistakes and our hurts into his plan. He doesn't cause bad, but he brings about good out of the bad. And he weaves in the mistakes and the hurts. Friends, this sounds great, but there's one qualifier to this great truth. Notice it says, we know God causes all things to work together for good for those who love God. This is the promise only for us as believers. It doesn't apply to everyone in this world. It only applies to those who have trusted Jesus with their life. So if you're not a believer, all things aren't working together for good in your life. They're working together for bad. That's why you have so many problems. But once you cross the line and say, I'm going to be a follower of Jesus, I want his grace. I want to be a follower of Jesus. I want to love him. I want to know him more. I want him to be number one. God, even at that point, transforms all of your mistakes prior to that, up to that point, and he starts changing them and using them for good in your own life. God has this to say to you. In Jeremiah 29, 11, we've heard it a ton of times. I have good plans for you. Not plans that are going to hurt you, but I will give you hope. There's that Christian word again, hope and a good future. God says, I've got plans that are good for you to give you a hope and a future. You felt shame, you felt hurt, you felt pain. You've been in situations that you thought were hopeless. You can see his face in that hopeless situation. Nothing, nothing is hopeless if you give that situation to Jesus. He will do all things. He will erase your shame. He will help you change. Well, friends, let's prepare ourselves for the communion table. There's two more things. God's provision will always supply my needs. I don't want to talk about this because we talked about it last week. In every area of your life, if you put Jesus first, God assumes responsibility for that and supplies it. If you have a need in your marriage, put Christ first. If you have a need in your finances, put Christ first. If you put him first in every area of your life, he has promised to supply your needs. Romans 8 Verse 32 says this, He who did not spare his own son, but gave Jesus up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Friends, you might not believe that verse, but then you need to start discrediting other verses that you believe. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? God gave the greatest sacrifice when he sent his son to die for you. Philippians 4.19 says this, And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of glory in Christ Jesus. That means your college tuition. That means house payments. That means doctor bills. God is not short on cash. You may be short on faith. And the fifth one, God's promises will always secure my future. Listen to this great verse from Romans chapter 8. I am convinced 
that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, translated verse 38, everything, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. The best news that I can give you this morning is that our hope doesn't end with this world. Lamentations 3.22 says, Because of God's great love for us, we are not consumed. His compassion never fails. The hope for the world, folks, isn't on how nice the weather's going to be today. It's not on some government program. The hope of changing our society is not built on politics or even our prime minister or president. The hope of the world is on Jesus. Colossians 1.27 says this, To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of his mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Followed up with 1 Peter 3.15, But in your hearts, revere, honor Christ as Lord. Friends, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give reason for, here's that word again, hope that you have. But always do this with gentleness and respect. Friends, are you sharing hope with anybody today? God, if I said anything that wasn't of you, take it from my friend's mind. If you use me in a small way to encourage my friends, make it about the Holy Spirit that prompts, guides, and leads. We love you. Thank you for being our hope. We ask all this in your name. Amen.